what are you going to do with the second chance of, of starting your life over again? And I think that was the turning point. And so that's when I stopped focusing on what I couldn't do and what happened to me. And I started looking, being in the present and looking forward. So it became, okay, I can't do that, but I can do this. And that's what started the forward motion. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. My friends, you have a treat today. We have Laura Mangum Broom. And I just, yeah, I got that right. Laura is a resilience coach. How she came to that, though, is the more interesting part of being a resilience coach. And I think when you hear the term resilience, which may or may not be overused today, but there are a lot of things that happen to us when we go through a hard time. And I hear a lot of people say things like, well, you wouldn't have any more than you can handle happen to you. Everyone perseveres. Time heals all wounds. Absolutely untrue. A thousand percent. I meet people many, many times a month uh, in different parts of my work that don't ever do the heavy lifting that comes with healing and learning to increase their resilience. And it doesn't just happen with time. So some of us can go through hard times and we do end up for a variety of reasons on the side of it. Some of us just don't all. And so I think this will be an interesting conversation. As you know, I am all about resilience, trying to help people increase theirs and kind of tame trauma in their lives. We never, never fully get over trauma, but we do incorporate it into our lives. One sign, I, I can tell you that when I'm working with someone who's been through something evil, whether they've had a loved one who's been murdered, as you know, I work in true crime and have worked for government for, um, for the justice system. But you, you can always tell when somebody says, wow, I, I don't know if I can talk about this. I haven't thought about it. I've tried to suppress it. These are not signs of healing or resilience. Getting through it by avoiding is never a sign of resilience. So I'm really fascinated with this concept conversation. Email me, let me know what you're thinking about it. And I look forward to introducing you to her. So thanks ever for being here. Please, as ever, if you would share this with a friend who needs to hear it, I will be so very grateful. Review the podcast. And if you really, really like, join me on Patreon. Laura Mangan Broom, wonderful to have you today. And what a story you have to share. Thank you so much for being on Persistence You. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I I love talking with you just before. So <laughs> the audience wasn't there. So if you could just let us know, like leading up to about 2020, what was happening in your life that kind of made you the person that you are today? <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, before 2020, I was, um, I was helping my husband with his business. I was running the day-to-day operations and a couple of years into it, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I started that journey. And um, fortunately, I was able to take half treatments for six months instead of full treatments for three months. Um, and, uh, but at the, after my chemo treatments ended, uh, then um, I started having heart issues. Um, while I was going through my cancer journey, um, I lost my son, uh, to, my oldest son to suicide. Oh, and um, so that was a difficult time. And, and then 2020 COVID hit and I was, um, because of my heart issues, I was told I would need a heart transplant. And so right when COVID shut everything down, I went into the hospital, received my heart transplant. Um, I only had to wait six days for a new heart, which is a miracle in itself. That is and, a miracle. If you could imagine yeah. getting a surgery right after COVID hit and yeah. a heart transplant to boot. I mean, that's huge. It was because they told me it it could be that I'd have to wait a long time because since COVID had shut everything down, um, the uh, available organs was going to be greatly reduced. And uh, so I I went into the hospital with my work and I planned on working during the day while I was waiting in the room. And uh, they told me, like I said, six days, we found a heart for you. It's a perfect match we're going to get you prepped for surgery. And, um, so two weeks later, I got to go home on mother's day weekend, thought that was the perfect mother's day gift, get to go home, celebrate with my family, with my new heart. And, um, then a month later I found out that, um, my marriage was over and after almost 30 years, and that Mm. was very devastating. A lot of emotions, you know, going through abandonment, betrayal, um, whole slew of things. Oh, and, Laura, um, I can't even imagine. I mean, you're vulnerable health-wise. You've got a pandemic <laughs> in which you have to kind of stay at home and not get sick. And then this stress can really reduce your ability to be healthy. Yes. Yes. And I mean, my doctors were so concerned about me um, because they knew what I was facing and and they were shocked by it too. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, again, it was such a a wonderful um, thing to be grateful for is that I I was not sickly during that time. Um, I had to take my meds um, because, uh, there'll be two meds that I'm on for the rest of my life to, okay. uh, decrease the risk of infection and rejection. And, um, so, but, uh, during the divorce or when the divorce, uh, was finalized, my insurance dropped. And, um, because, um, m- we had military insurance, my husband had just, uh, retired from the national guard. I was in, entitled to the, um, insurance, but it took me 13 months to finally enroll. Everybody agreed I was eligible for it, but nobody would tell me why I couldn't enroll. And so that was, um, so that, that was again, another, another difficult hardship to go through. Um, 
And uh, so 13 months, I went without insurance. I paid for my medications out of pocket. And um, yeah, it, what, what little, what little um, retirement pay I received from my ex-husband um, almost covered my medication. So I just borrowed the, the rest from um, family and because wow. uh, I had to keep my medications going and so, yeah, it's <laughs> just, just when you think you're kind of seeing a little bit of making a little bit of headway, then something else comes along. So, um, there's a, a quote from Albert Einstein that I like, um, you know, everybody knew it was impossible until a fool who didn't know came along and did it. <laughs> and, and I felt like I was that fool. Cause I was like, well, not really a fool, but it's like, I am going to get my insurance. I, you know, I'm entitled to it. And it, it did, it took me 13 months to, to enroll in insurance. So uh, um, I could finish my follow-up visits and uh, make oh sure everything goodness. was going well. So, yeah. You and, did uh, it. Isn't that it. sad <laughs> that of all the hurdles that one took, such a long oh, yes. time to make it through it is just to get medical coverage but yes. you did it That's i did it fabulous. i was not giving up because i had to have it you know it 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 uh it wasn't an option you know and um and and so i did and congratulations yes. you know it's hard because life often does lump up on us in a sense that you had your son's suicide breast cancer heart transplant divorce and insurance and for people out there who are thinking, man, my life can't get worse, which is always a scary thing to say out loud. Because it Don't absolutely say that. Yeah, can. <laughs> absolutely can. But you know what? Sometimes then it starts getting better. When did you know that you were making a decision to be on the right path? It was it was shortly after the divorce. I, I was really at my lowest point and I was going through the, the stages of grief. And uh, when I hit the anger stage, I got really angry. And at first I thought I was angry at my ex-husband and, and I probably was, but then I realized I, I was angry with myself because it's like, Laura, you have a, a brand new heart. Well, you know, I mean, for me, it was, it was a new heart, a new strong heart is what the doctors told me. And you're, you're, you know, you're just in this continual pity party and you've got the rest of your life. And, and I was 58 at the time. And it's like, what, what are you going to do with the second chance of, of starting your life over again? And I think that was the turning point. And so that's when I stopped focusing on what I couldn't do and what happened to me. And I started looking, being in the present and looking forward. So it became, okay, I can't do that, but I can do this. And that's what started the forward motion. Wow. That's fabulous. And it's just a good reminder. Like it, it's hard in the moment and everyone deserves to have time where they feel like, okay, this is not pleasant. <laughs> I'm going to feel right, the feelings. Right. I'm not going to pretend everything's okay. Cause sometimes it's just no. not. Mm -mm. But on the other hand, you still have options after all of those choices kind of taken away during the pandemic and your heart transplant and your marriage, you still have choices as how to react. That's exactly right. And, and when I started looking at what was in my control, 
I found so many things that I could do because I had control over my, my thoughts, my words, and my actions. And then it was like, what, what other resources do I have? And, and it just, and I realized I have so many possibilities. It, it, I have to step out of my comfort zone and, you know, and, and that, you know, a lot of people with change is like, but I don't want to step out. And, you know, in my case, I was forced to step out of my comfort zone you and, were. and I thought, well, what are you, what, what else are you going to do? I mean, I didn't have a lot of options at the time, but it was better than just being stuck. And, you know, when, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, then you're ready to move forward. And, um, and so I was just, you know, I had to look at what am I going to do now? Cause I, I did really start over from scratch and, um, and, and so that's, I started making a list of what was in my control. I started, uh, making sure that if negative thoughts came in my head, that was something that was out of my control, I would just sometimes I'd say out loud to myself, just stop thinking that don't focus on what you can't do, focus on what you can do. And, and like I said, it was just little baby steps. And, and, and I started to look at things to find joy again, what was I grateful for? And that was the game changer. When I started looking at what was, you know, what, what, what is in my life that I can be happy about what can I enjoy and embrace and it was those little bitty things that we take for granted and you know a, a beautiful sunny day you know that's that's something that I can find joy in and um and so I think that's what we need to to look at more because we're wired to focus on the negative and when we start focusing on the positive, because you can find, some people will say, no, you can't, but I'm going to tell you, you can. You can find one good thing, no matter how tragic a situation is. And it, and it, and it could be that at least it's not worse. And that's what I did in the beginning. I would say, well, things could be a lot worse. And I would start listing how they could be worse. And then you flip that and there's all your gratitudes right there. I like it. I like it. Did you reach out for support? Like, what did you do to what helped you kind of go across the bridge? I did. And, and for me, that was very difficult, but that was one of the areas of growth that helped me tremendously because I'm the caregiver. I'm the one that I go and I help others. And when I found myself being in a situation where I needed help, it was hard at first to ask for help. Um, but, but I did, I, I had to say, if you don't, it's going to be harder. And so learning to ask for help, I, uh, went and talked to, um, a counselor, actually, she was our marriage counselor, um, previously. And I went to her for ind individual counseling and that was wonderful. Um, she helped me focus on moving forward and, um, you know, I asked, um, help from my family and, and, and just, you know, resources. It's like, what, what resources are out there that can help me move forward? And, um, and that's so humbling. I think so many of us just feel like, no, wait, I'm the one who has the world by the tail. I help other people. I can't be the person asking for help. But if we stay, stay stuck in that, we're not going to make it through and make the impact we yeah. want. So good for you. You did it, even though it was 
not ideal. You did it and it helped. And it helped me going forward when I need help. I'm not so hesitant to ask for help. And, and, and that can be a game changer because, you know, we, we want to, we don't want to ask for help because it means it, it can, we can perceive that as being weak, but, mm-hmm. but then when you flip it around and say, would you help somebody that was in this situation? Well, my answer would be, yes, of course. I'd want them to know I'm here to help in any way. And so that's what helped me to accept help <laughs> from other right. people because, you know, I had to swallow my pride and say, yes, I do need help. And, and I appreciated their concern and, and it, it helps me to start trusting again, because when, you know, when, when your trust is broken, it's, it's really hard to try to find that trust again in other people. Right. Right. That was, I mean, you were married a long time, mm-hmm. right? How long were you married? Uh, 27 years. We were together 28. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And good and bad. <laughs> right. Sure. 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 But good and, for you for yeah. getting assistance and moving through some of those big, big things. And a little bit about the heart transplant process. Cause I've never, mm-hmm. I don't think I've had somebody who's been a heart trans. No, I have not had anyone who's had a heart transplant on the show before. <laughs> I didn't know what? anybody either. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I love the movie Return to Me, a romantic comedy yeah. about a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. I, it is a corny movie it, and I love it so much, but that's about as this. much as I know. But what is, what was that like? And did you get to learn much about the person who donated or mm-hmm. when do you get to know about the person who donated their organ? Well, I, um, protocols uh, says that I, I, I'll be able to uh, reach out to the clinic, the heart clinic, to contact the family um, of the the donor. Uh, but I don't really know anything other than it. The doctor said they found me a good, strong heart. So that's what I know about it. And and then uh, um, it kind of slipped that it was a male heart. So okay. uh, so I, that's all I know. And um, but I'm so thankful. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry under the circumstances, you know, that the, the donor, uh, lost their life, but, um, uh, I'm so thankful, uh, that I, I'm, was the recipient and, um, because it saved my life, um, cause my heart was going out. And at the time I did not really understand the circumstances I was in. And, uh, cause I, I moved to the top of the heart transplant list very, very quickly. And, uh, and I was just glad because for four years after the cancer treatment stopped, I had such a difficult time breathing and I was a very shallow breather. And my heart function had gone down to about uh, 10, 15%. And, um, uh, average is like 55% and above. So before my chemo treatment, I was at 70% you know, functionality. And, um, so it dropped down to 10 to 15. So to tell you how bad it was just to take a deep breath, you know, what, what will yawn or we sigh. I couldn't do that to take a deep breath. I had to close my eyes and completely relax all my muscles and try to breathe in from my nose and just hope that I could get that deep breath because if I couldn't, it was almost going into panic mode because I wanted that deep breath and I couldn't get it. And so I had to just keep 
calming myself down to just to take that one deep breath. And um, so by the time I found out I was needing a heart transplant, I was ready. I, I was so tired. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep in bed. I would sleep um, in a, a rocking chair with the a big pillow um, on my lap and just kind of sleep like that. Um, <laughs> because I, I just was trying to get the maximum oxygen. And um, okay. so when they said you needed a heart transplant, I was, it was bittersweet. It's like, bring it on because I can't go on like this anymore. And um, so, but the, all the testing that they did, um, I, I had, I have a good sense of humor um, because getting tested, poked and prodded, I'm a very ticklish person. And so every time they had to do something, I would just tell them up front, I'm very ticklish. You have my permission to hold down whatever body part you need <laughs> to do whatever <laughs> you need to do, because I'm just going to react, you know? And so we had a lot of fun, you know, the, the medical uh, staff had fun with that too. And so I wanted to be a good patient so they would take good care of me. <laughs> so <laughs> they did, they loved me because I had a sense of humor, <laughs> you know, but I love them too. They, the whole experience, I had a wonderful heart transplant team and medical staff. I, I mean, it could not have gone any better. That is so good. Well, which, where did you get that done? By the way, are we allowed to ask? Oh, uh, yeah, it was here in San Antonio at the um, okay. um, um, Methodist Hospital um, Heart and Lung Transplant Center. Beautiful. So I mean, I was, that is. Yeah, right, I, I, I was to say, I, I joke around and say I'm number 502. Um, at the time I went into the hospital, uh, they had just done their uh, 500th heart transplant. And so I was hoping to be 501, but uh, um, I was 502. So uh, so my family and I, that's kind of my nickname is 502. <laughs> so, that is so great. <laughs> yeah. So it was, I mean, I, I was in, had complete confidence with the team. If they had done, you know, if 500 heart, uh, successful heart transplant had, you know, gone through the process before me, I, I, I didn't have any worries at all. Good. That is fantastic. And I bet it probably did instill inside you a little more feelings of responsibility to make sure that you were going to really appreciate the next chapters of your life. So how did you go from all of these things and healing, getting the help that you needed to heal to being a resilience coach? I wanted to be able to help others because I know what it was like trying to find resources when I had very little options at the time due to COVID. And I would look for books. I would look for, you know, podcast. I look for anything that would tell me how I needed to move on. And I didn't, at the time, it's like, I don't really want to understand why, because my husband had made a choice to move on. So I needed to move on but how? And uh, so, so I guess that's, that's where I felt like I have gone through so much stuff trying to figure it out on my own. I don't want people to have to figure it out on their own. And, and, and through all my hardships, I figured out like a framework and that I could apply it to any 
type of challenge, you know, big or small. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I tell everybody I'm not a sickly person. I haven't had the flu in over 20 years. I don't get colds. I, I mean, I'm a healthy person. I just go big or go home. And, right. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, so, so it, it's like, but I, I do go through challenges and, and, and so I kind of realized what helped me get through 2020 is can still be applied even when I come across challenges now. And, and, and so I want to, I want to give people hope because if I can get through this, then I'm an ordinary person who has been through extraordinary things, but I, if I can do it, you can too. <laughs> and, and, and cause I, I think everybody should be able to move past adversity and, and find the joy again, because it is wonderful being on the side of adversity and, and finding that gift. And it doesn't mean I won't ever experience hardship again, but now I feel like I'm prepared. If I know when I see a, an obstacle or a challenge come up, I don't look at it now as, oh no, this is something bad. I look at it now as this is an opportunity because I know there's going to be one good thing I can find out of this challenge. And I I have my tools to, to get through it. I have my coping skills, my resilience tools. I know I'm going to get through this and it may take me on a path that I would not have considered if I hadn't gone through this challenge. And so I've learned to see with my choices of how I can see things and, and use my resources. I, I look at things as an adventure. Now, if there's going to be a roadblock in my path, then I know it's going to be, there's going to be a change, but change is constant and change isn't a bad thing, but it may help bring out some, um, hidden strengths that I haven't used in a while or it may um, help somebody else. You know, maybe my path is crossing with somebody else who I can help. Um, you know, it just, there's so many opportunities, so many possibilities. And I think that's what gets me excited. And I want other people to see it as excitement. Change doesn't have to be bad, but it's a choice. You know, like I said, adversity makes you bitter or better. I chose better. And, and I want to enjoy the second chance of my life. And it looks like you're doing it. I and am. that is so fantastic. <laughs> That's so fantastic. You've got your sense of humor intact. You are able to talk about things without it cutting you to shreds. And I'm sure you still have your days here or there because that's just part of the human experience. Yes. But- that's really exciting. Well, where can people learn more about you and your work and connect with you if they're looking for a resilience coach? Yes, my website is uh, com, and that's with the number two. And um, I have um, blogs, uh, I do a weekly blog and, and a free resource. And, and I just want to get the word out to people that you, you can transform, transform hardship into hope and flourish in life. That's excellent. I mean, if you can do it, then, yeah. you know, you've made all the choices and the steps, then it's good to know that you're, you're there to help other people do the same. And thank you so much for being with us today on Persistence You. Appreciate it, Laura. I, I've enjoyed you very much. 
I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.